Well, as you know, today's the last day of 2017, December 31st, the final day of the year. And you know, in many ways, this day is kind of a normal day, right? Nothing that special about it. At least it wasn't anything special for me until about 4.15 when the smoke alarm in our bedroom started reminding us it needed a new battery. Um, that was awesome. You know, I couldn't wait till 4.15 in the afternoon, but, you know, whatever. So uh, this is just a normal day, but in some ways, at least maybe to me, it feels different. Today feels special, distinct. It's like a day of transition, a day that we might want to look back on what's happened over this past year, as well as a time for us to look forward to what may come in this year uh, before us. So let's do that this morning. Let's take some time together to look back and then look forward. We'll start with a look back. turns out that um, if you were to be, be familiar with the Word of God, that's something that God often calls His people to do, is to look back and remember the things that He had done. Uh, the men and women who lived there in Israel, uh, they uh, weren't all that different from us. They got into life, it got, it got busy, like, I mean, moving fast, lots of stuff happening, and sometimes they would forget the Lord and forget the things that He has done. And I'm kind of glad that we don't have that same issue, right? Um, just like us, the people back then, uh, the result of it, when, when we or when they would forget about God or forget about who he was and what he had done, the result of that, the outcome of that, is that they would be held hostage by fear and anxiety. They would give in to temptation or they would fail to trust themselves and their circumstances to God. Um, Here's a little mini lesson, if you will. All of us have issues, right? We've all got issues in our lives, things that we wish were different. Have you ever stopped to consider how those issues might be different in our lives if we did a better job of remembering who God is and what he has done in our lives? I think remembering is one of those skills that we could all grow in. Just a few moments ago, we sang one of my all-time favorite songs, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That's an old song. It was written 260 years ago this year. Um, and in it, there's a, a few lines that are, you first, you know, when you first hear this, it sounds a little bit weird. The, the, the weirdest one for me is this one. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither to, hither by thy help I have come. Ebenezer? I mean, what in the world is that talking about? I think of Ebenezer Scrooge, but Ebenezer, what, what's going on here? Well, this morning, if you, as we take some time to, to look back, I want to take some time to show you what's going on with that word, Ebenezer. If you've got a Bible, would you open it up to the book of 1 Samuel? Okay, 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's the ninth book in. If you need to use a table of contents, that's totally fine, but we're going to look at a verse in the book of 1 Samuel that explains that. But before we get there, I need to give you some background, and it starts in chapter 4. So if you'd open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 4, that's where we're going to start. So if you're there in 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, at this point in the biblical story, the Israelites were living there in the promised land. It turns out they weren't the only ones who were living there. 
the Philistines were also living there. And they were a group of people who lived to the west. They lived right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And the Philistines and the Israelites were enemies. They just did not get along. And they were constantly running into conflicts and battles with one another. Let me tell you why. There was a practical conflict. The Philistines liked where they lived. And when the Israelites came into the land and laid claim to that land as their own, it turned into sort of a practical conflict. It was a threat to the Philistines. But the practical conflict wasn't the only conflict. There was a spiritual conflict as well. The Philistines were idol worshipers. They worshipped many false gods. And the Israelites, they claimed that there was only one God, the, the God of the Bible. And so there was a spiritual conflict. And because of this practical conflict and the spiritual conflict, the Philistines and the Israelites over and over again came in to battle. And you can see one of those in, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, there in first 1, it says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. They had a battle, the Israelites and the Philistines, and Israel got whooped. Okay? They uh, defeated the, the, these defeated the Israelites. They sort of stagger back into their camp, and they're asking themselves a rather obvious question. Turns out it was actually a pretty good question. Why? Why has the Lord, why has Yahweh allowed us to be defeated before the Philistines? And again, uh, that's a good question. But the problem was they weren't willing to wait for God to provide the answer. Instead, they thought they knew the answer. Their idea was, I know what we need to do. Our solution to this, the next time we go into battle against the Philistines, let's take the Ark of the Covenant with us. And that way, we'll be guaranteed a victory. Ark of the Covenant is a gold-covered box. And inside were the stone tablets that Moses used to write the law of God, along with a few other items. But the most important thing about the Ark of the Covenant is that this was a physical reminder of the presence of God among his people. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to stay in the tabernacle, the place of worship. But the Israelites' bright idea was they're going to take the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle, out of the place of worship, and take it with them to the battlefield. It was going to be sort of their secret weapon, their ace in the hole. And they thought, you know, with it, this is a sure thing. We're guaranteed a victory. And so later on, it, it shows us that they, they did that. They took the Ark, they marched off into battle, and guess what happened? Israelites were defeated again, this time worse than before. This time they were defeated, 30,000 of their soldiers were killed. And that was bad, but what was way worse is the Philistines captured the ark and carried it off to the, one of their cities. There's a mini lesson in here for us, guys, that God is not going to allow himself to be used or controlled by us. God is not going to allow himself to be used as a good luck charm. God is holy and he is glorious and our response is to worship him, 
to surrender to him, to honor him with our lives, not to try to use him or control him for our purposes. We don't ask him to surrender to us or demand that he do our bidding. Have you ever found yourself thinking, okay, I I really am going to start praying this new year. I'm going to get my life back in order because I want God to give me a new job or I want God to do this thing for me. Have you ever ever found yourself thinking that, you know what, I'm, I'm worshiping God for, not for God, but for something I want him to do for me. Again, the lesson here is that God is not going to allow himself to be used or controlled. We are to surrender to him with our whole lives and not to try to use him to get what we want, okay? And so the Philistines, they've defeated the Israelites, they've captured the ark, and the next few years were a real low point for the people of Israel. After several years go by, um, in chapter 7, God raises up a leader named Samuel. Samuel's going to speak to the people and lead them back to worshiping God. And so God raises up Samuel. Samuel gathers the people together and calls them to repent, to put away all the false gods and return to worshiping God with their whole heart. And guess what happens? The people respond. They begin to repent. They begin to gather together and commit themselves to worshiping God. And the the Philistines see this. They see the Israelites gathering together, and they think something's up. And so they march out to have another battle. The Israelites see this. They see the Philistines approaching them with all their weapons ready for a fight. And man, they get afraid. They're like, oh no, here we go again. They're, they're, They're afraid. And so in desperation... They beg Samuel to pray for them. They're afraid and they're desperate and they're begging God or begging Samuel to pray for them. Here's something to remember. Desperation is never a bad thing if it leads you to the feet of an almighty God. Desperation is never a bad thing if it leads you to the feet of of an almighty God. I think, man, we need to hear that because we don't much like the feeling of being desperate, do we? It feels vulnerable, like we're out of control, we're we're, we're bound up with fear, and that desperate feeling is not a very comfortable thing. But if desperation leads us to the one who is in control, guess what? We are comforted. We're comforted by him. So uh, the people, and out of desperation, are begging Samuel to pray for them. And look what Samuel does. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel. That word cried is an intense word. Samuel is crying out to God for the sake of the people there in Israel. And the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. This is an awesome victory. I mean, Israel, the nation of Israel, 
they were crying out to God. They asked Samuel to, to, to pray for them. They were entrusting themselves and their lives to God. And God defeated their enemies without Israel even firing a shot. This is an amazing victory. And in an effort to memorialize it, in an effort to, peop, to help the people not forget what happened, Samuel does something special. These were the words that we sang earlier. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far the Lord has helped us. When he says that, certainly he's including the powerful victory they had just seen and experienced over the Philistines. But he's also acknowledging and including all of the wonderful things God had done in Israel's past. All the ways and all the times that he has shown his power, his faithfulness, his presence, his grace, his mercy. He's remembering all of those wonderful times. But at the same time, he's also looking forward. He's also saying, God, uh, the, 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 the way you have been faithful in, a, this in the past, you will continue to be faithful in the years to come. When Samuel takes that stone, that Ebenezer stone, and says, hither by thy help we've come, he's saying, guys, we got here. We got here at this point by God's faithfulness. And because God is faithful, we can have strong hope for the future, no matter what that future holds for us. Hither by thy help, we've come. So in keeping with Samuel and his Ebenezer stone, I want to take this opportunity on this last day of 2017 to look back and see where God has taken us. And as I made a list of things, the list of the good things that have happened this year, I was blown away. The list of good things that have happened this year is long, and I wasn't even including the Astros winning the World Series. All right? It's, it's, this is a great list. Here at Redeemer, there was a lot of stuff to celebrate. Uh, we had some folks trust in Jesus and experience the salvation that he brings. That was just awesome. I was able to celebrate with some of them. One of my highlights of my year is sitting out in the foyer. Um, Brandon and Liz Ramsey, a couple in our church, brought me over and they said, hey, Pastor Matt, we want to share something with you. Actually, Matthew wants to share something with you. Matthew's their son. So I got down on the knee and Matthew told me that he had prayed to receive Jesus that week with his mom and dad. And I was like, man, that is awesome. I was giving him a high five, and that was just so great. And his sister, Juliet, little sister, she wanted to get in on the action, and she said, hey, guess what? This week, I learned how to go potty all by myself. <laughs> She's one of the one-upper brother, you know? It was just awesome. We had the joy of celebrating with some of those men and women who experienced salvation as we celebrated their baptism. Uh, there were other parents that we rejoiced with as they dedicated they're new babies. Back in October, as a church, we celebrated the first anniversary of Redeemer and Espanol. Just awesome. 
This was a big year for local and world missions. There were trips from this church going out to places like Mexico, Jamaica, San Antonio, Uganda, Haiti, and South Texas. Together as a church, we said, wow, and we praised the Lord when one of the Kavarshim, we heard the report that one of the Kavarshim, this people group over in the North Caucasus in Russia, this unreached, unengaged people group that we've adopted to pray for, we heard the report this past year that one of those people had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and responded. Praise God. And add to that list all the personal stories that I know that you've experienced of how God has been faithful and he's answered prayers for jobs, for for medical issues, for other stuff happening in your family. The list of good things is long. We can see God's faithfulness in it. But even though it might be a little bit more painful, we can also see God's faithfulness in the list of not so good things that have happened in 2017. The big one around here, of course, was Hurricane Harvey. Devastating floods that that affected so many in this whole area, including some families right here in our own church. Um, I'm sure that you could do this yourselves, but I was looking back this past week at some of my pictures and my phone, some of the text messages that were happening those first few days after Harvey, and I gotta tell you, man, it was emotional just taking me back to how it felt. Some of the sights, the sounds, the smells of that. And just knowing that that family after family, person after person whose home was flooded, they had lost so, so much. We'll all remember 2017 as the year of Harvey, but we'll also remember uh, the year of of this year of other, other things as well. I mean, things that happen in your own lives, of um, some hard things that happen job-wise or in your family or perhaps some medical issues that you're still struggling with. Just as Samuel took that Ebenezer stone and said, thus far the Lord has helped us, we do the same. Throughout this past year, with the list of good things and the list of not so good things. We declare thus far, we are here because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, we can have hope. We can have, we can have peace. We can have, we can have a sense of strength because of his faithfulness, his covenant love, and his presence with us, the fact that he's brought us this far. Now, before we finish Uh, this look back over this last year and we step into looking ahead, I want to stop for a special word of prayer. And I want to ask a couple to come up, Joey and Jenny Peyra, would you guys come up? Joey and Jenny are a a couple in our church that have been here for a good while. They've, They've experienced quite a 2017 themselves. And I've asked them to read a prayer from a book called Valley of Vision. It's a collection of prayers from the Puritans And this prayer is called Year's End. Will you all pray with us? O love beyond compare, thou art good when thou givest, when thou takest away, when the sun shines upon me, when night gathers over me. Thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world, and in love didst redeem my soul. Thou dost love me still, in spite of my hard heart, ingratitude, distrust, 
Thy goodness has been with me during another year, leading me through a twisting wilderness, in retreat, helping me to advance, when beaten back, making sure headway. Thy goodness will be with me in the year ahead. I hoist sail and draw up anchor. With thee is the blessed pilot of my future, as of my past. I bless thee that thou hast veiled my eyes to the waters ahead. If thou hast appointed storms of tribulation, thou wilt be with me in them. If I have to pass through tempests of persecution and temptation, I shall not drown. If I am to die, I shall see thy face the sooner. If a painful end is to be my lot, grant me grace that my faith fail not. If I am to be cast aside from the service I love, I can make no stipulation. Only glorify thyself in me, whether in comfort or trial. As a chosen vessel, meet always for thy use. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You know, looking ahead, looking back, actually, um, it provides some perspective. It provides a, a platform, if you will, to look into the year to come, these next 12 months. And so as we do that, um, you know, the first and most obvious thing we've got to say is that there's no way that we'll be able to predict what's going to happen. There's no way that we can predict that 365 years from now, or, or 365 days from now, we'll be able to look back and, and say with certainty the list of good things with a list of not-so-good things, okay? So even though we can't predict what it might happen, we, we do know that God will be God. We do know that He will be faithful and that His Word, the, the Bible, is our authority, our conscience, and our guide, and so this, this morning, as we look ahead to this next year, to 2018, let's look to God's Word to give us some guidance. And specifically, what I want to look at is one of the most powerful statements that Jesus made during his earthly ministry. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, the book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So if you want to go ahead and leave 1 Samuel behind and flip over to Matthew chapter 22, uh, no matter what happens in this coming year, if we can put into practice what Jesus says here, we're going to be in good shape, all right? So Matthew chapter 22, it starts with verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Let me stop there and say this. You, you might already know this, but let me explain it again. The Pharisees and Sadducees were two groups of Jews who took their religion very, very seriously. The Pharisees especially, they liked to think that they kept all the rules and that that made them kind of a big deal. And they didn't much like Jesus and all the things that he was saying. And so one of the things they did was they were always trying to question him and, and back him into a corner and see if they could trap him. And that's what's kind of going on here. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? This was something the Pharisees did a lot. They, they loved to debate. And remember, they took their religion very, very seriously. And so they loved to debate and argue with each other, with other people, to kind of show off who had the most knowledge about God's word. Uh, this may not be the best illustration here, but... Um, sometimes, you know, you'll get a guy, a couple guys, and they're arguing about who was the best basketball player ever. 
Uh, somebody will say, oh, it was Jordan. And somebody else will say, no, it was LeBron. And then somebody comes along always and says, what about Wilt Chamberlain? Dude, you just proved you don't know anything about basketball. Everybody knows it was Jordan, right? Okay, so that's what's going on here. They're, they're trying to trap Jesus by having this debate about what's the great commandment of the law. And, and, and look what happens. Again, this guy says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. They asked Jesus, which was the great commandment, the most important one of all? And Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And again, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As we look ahead to 2018, again, we have no idea what events are going to happen. What are the good things? What are the not-so-good things? We have no idea what's going to happen, but we do know this. God's going to be God. And our response to him as God's children is to love him. Let's love God in 2018. I know that sounds so broad and so abstract to say, let's, let's love God in 2018, but what does it mean? How, how can we do that? How does it break down into something that we can sort of get our hands around? I think if you're breaking it down, if you're boiling down this idea of loving God in 2018, I think it boils down to two words, trust and obey. Trust and and obey. When we trust ourselves and our, and our circumstances to God, we are loving him. And we're saying, God, you are good to me, no matter what. And I trust myself to you. That's a statement of love from a heart of humility that we are saying to our father, I trust you. And when we obey God in the 10 million moments that are going to happen in this year to come, when we obey him, and obey his word. We're loving him and saying, God, you and your way is best. Again, not knowing all the things that are going to happen in this next year to come. When we trust and obey God, we are loving him moment by moment and day by day. Let me just share with you a couple of questions that might help all of us get off to a good start in this next year of loving him. Uh, in your chair, there was a handout. And on that handout, there's a couple of questions. Let me share that with you. Most all of us have some time off tomorrow uh, before you get to going shopping or watching the football game. Man, it would be great to get a cup of coffee, sit down and really spend some time pondering these questions. What am I anxious about? What might God be calling me toward? And what could I surrender to him? To help us get off to a good start at loving God in this new year, let's think about these questions. What am I anxious about? What are the things that are kind of making me uh, uptight, getting my heart racing a little bit, making me anxious? What might God be calling me toward? Is there something that, that you just felt God kind of nudging you toward? And what could I surrender to him? Again, as we live in an attitude of trust and obedience, what could we surrender to him in this year to come? 
These are good questions, and even though all of us are going to answer them differently, how we answer these questions will steer us toward loving God well in 2018. Okay? So this Pharisee asked Jesus, what's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus quickly responds, love the Lord your God with everything you have, your heart, your soul, and your mind. But then Jesus drops a surprise on the guy. Okay, the guy asked the question, was expecting just one answer, but then Jesus gives him two. After he gave the priority of loving God, Jesus goes on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Not only should we love God with everything that we have, but we are also called to love others in our lives as well. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go there this morning, but over in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke records another episode where this same dialogue is happening, where somebody is asking Jesus about the great commandment. And Jesus responds the same way. It's the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy says, okay, Jesus, I'm with you. I know we're supposed to do that. But who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus goes on to answer that question by sharing the most, if you will, most, most well-known and loved parable all the world over, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, Jesus explains that our neighbor isn't the person that we just naturally like or have an affinity for. Our neighbor is anyone that we come into contact with, another human being created in the image of God that we happen to bump up against. And so when Jesus says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, he doesn't give us any outs. We're supposed to be a loving person to the people around us. And so the question I have is, okay, how are we going to do that? I mean, in 2018, when it says love your neighbor, again, it's so broad, it's so abstract. How am I going to get my arms around that? How am I going to boil that down so that I'm not just paralyzed and end up doing nothing? Well, just like we did with the idea of boiling down the idea of loving God to those two words, trust and obey, I want to break down this idea of loving our neighbor into something that's a bit more manageable. Years ago, I heard a guy named Rick Taylor um, teach about servant leadership, and I don't know if this is original with Rick, but, but he called us to follow the example of Jesus and take the initiative for the benefit of others. Take the initiative for the benefit of others. And man, I think that is a great way to think about how you and I can grow in loving others. Loving our neighbor is how can we take the initiative for the benefit of others more and more in this new year. And just like I did a bit earlier, there's a couple of questions on that handout again. When Jesus calls me to love my neighbor, who is the person or who are the people that quickly come to mind? Is it a family member? A friend? Somebody you work next to? Maybe a friend you have at school? Second question, what are the ways that I can take initiative for their benefit. And while I was putting this together, I almost wrote, what is the way I could take initiative? Actually, no. That's, that's, there's not just one way. There's multiple ways. What are ways 
that you and I can take initiative for their benefit. And so that this isn't just sort of a a one-day thing or a flash in the pan. Last question, beyond the short term, how can I continue to love them well? Guys, again, this next year is going to be full of stuff that we can't predict, we can't know ahead of time, uh, and that's okay. Because just like we experienced this past year, God will be faithful, and we can trust in him. We can't uh, control all the things that are going to happen, but what we can control is our attitude and our posture going into 2018. And so for those moments, those opportunities that come before us to trust God and to obey him, let's love God well. And for those opportunities, those moments where we have an opportunity to love a neighbor, to love someone else in our lives, let's take the opportunity to take initiative for their benefit. I can promise you that next year, somebody, I'm not sure if it's going to be me or Mitch or somebody else, is going to stand right here 365 days from now. We're going to be able to look back and see what has happened. Maybe by God's grace, we'll be able to point to circumstances in, in our life, as a, life collectively as a church or in our lives individually as men and women, as boys and girls. And we'll be able to say that by God's help, we got through this year and we were able to love him well and love others well also. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, your word says that you are good and you do good. Looking back on 2017, Lord, it, it was a year of, of, of good things. It was also a year of not so good things. There were moments where you gave. There were moments where you took away. But throughout it all, we trust in you and in your faithfulness. We praise you that thus far you have helped us. And because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, we affirm that our hope for the future is not found in our strength or in our savvy or in our own ability. Our hope is found in you. Father, as we look ahead to the next 12 months, we humbly ask for your help in making you and your call on our lives more central than it's been before. Help us to identify those areas in our lives where we still are under the mistaken notion that we don't need you. But we need you every hour. We need you every minute, every second. You've called us to love you with, our, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind. Help us identify ways that we can, we can love you by trusting you and obeying you. You've also called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, as we seek to take the initiative for the benefit of others in our lives, would you be glorified in us? And Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate example of how to do that. For you took the initiative to come from heaven and to live the life that we could never live and die on the cross for our sins. And we praise you that that grave did not hold you, that you rose again to new life and you reign right now at the right hand of your Father. And so, Father, as we stand right here, 
on this transition day, looking back and looking ahead, we declare that we, your people, we love you and we desire to bring honor and glory to you in the year to come. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, thank you for being here. hope everybody has a happy and safe new year. If there's any way that we could serve you, if we could pray for you or help you out in any way, please come find us. We'd love to do that, all righty? As we say all the time, you are loved, and we will see you next year, all right? You're dismissed.